right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where when it comes to coaching this year, let's all just say that we were bamboozled, nay, hamboozled. You like that? I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and welcome to my own personal therapy podcast space. For once, I'm going to be doing this podcast for me and not necessarily for the Lakers fans, though you guys may find some catharsis in me venting about the one and only Mr. Darvin Hamilton. Do not throw away your shot. So yeah, the Lakers lose Game 6 to the Memphis Grizzlies in what essentially became a mini-blowout. They lost 116-99 to the Memphis Grizzlies. I expected them to lose Game 6, but... I guess I didn't expect them to lose in the way that they did. I expected them to come out looking tired, lethargic, like they couldn't keep up. And in some respects, that described LeBron James pretty well. But I don't think it described the overall tenor of the team because I actually liked the energy, effort, and focus that the team came out with. And even in the times where... Memphis would go on big runs, including to end the first quarter. Um, I felt like the Lakers actually showed some composure. They withstood all of those body blows by the Memphis Grizzlies. And yeah, I was actually pretty impressed by how locked in the Lakers were to start this game and even to start the second half. But of course, as we're going to get into in this podcast, um, that wasn't enough because of, well, their coach. And Yeah, what an unfortunate opportunity wasted, and unfortunately it happened on a night when another coach in the Eastern Conference, Coach Spolstra, who was working with an undermanned janky team, that coach found a way to get it done for his team on the road and close out a series against the previous defending champions, the Milwaukee Bucks. So yes, a bad night for the Budenholzer coaching tree. But obviously, give me the actual coach Bud over Darvin Ham every single time because at least Bud knows how to play and utilize his bigs. Anyways, before I go any further, we have to give credit to the Memphis Grizzlies. They shot really well from three, or actually really well with respect to how this series has been going for them from three. They shot 14 of 40 from three, 35%. I imagine that they would get a boost from the crowd, which they did. They shot 44% to our 40%. Obviously, the officiating was a bit skewed their way, but that was to be expected with home court advantage. The refs were letting them play more physical than they were allowing the Lakers to do. But yeah, John Morant, Desmond Bain, two 30-point performances. They both shot over 50%. Desmond Bain shot four of nine from three. He was unstoppable. I really like Desmond Bain. He was on my fantasy team this year, so I'm a big fan of what he does, and the Lakers just couldn't find a way to contain him. Uh, He was carving us up from the mid-range. He was knocking down all of these floating sideways three-pointers. And then they pretty much killed us during those small ball lineups. Lo and behold, nobody's surprised by that. Yeah, so a really well-played game by the Memphis Grizzlies. They played great defense on us as well, so we have to give them credit for that. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we have to give credit to the Lakers players. They came out with the right energy and mindset. They weathered a couple of early body blows from the Grizzlies. And they had some really great defensive stretches as well where they put the clamps down on the Grizzlies and at times had like strong, the Lakers even strung out like four to five possessions where the Grizzlies couldn't score. 
Unfortunately, the Lakers could not overcome their own coach. Now, before I get to railing on Darvin Ham, I just want to point out that this is nothing against Darvin Ham as the person. Seems like a great guy. Clearly, the players like him. Clearly, there is some buy-in. But when it comes to the aspects of coaching and tactical decision-making, that's what I'm going to get to. Let's credit Darvin Ham on the adjustments that he did make this game. He got Jared Vanderbilt more involved in the offense as an initiator at the top of the key, got him more in movement. Uh, he had a couple of nice cuts. Uh, he finally played Wenyan Gabriel for a bit, for, for a little stint, and I thought Wenyan brought the requisite amount of energy and hustle. He finally went back to staggering Reeves with LeBron James whenever he goes to that microball unit. He changed up his defensive coverage on Desmond Bain, finally blitzing him. And again, we had some great stretches where defensively we looked dominant. <sighs> but now let's get to what Darvin Ham did poorly. And I think you guys all know where this is going to go. How many times does Darvin Ham have to see his team get blitzed by another 15-1 to run, this time a 26-2 to run, to close the third quarter going into the fourth quarter? How many times does he have to see those things happen before he finally calls a timeout, or he finally makes the proper rotational adjustment, or he properly makes the right tactical adjustment? How many times do we have to see these micro-ball lineups with LeBron James and three guards get demolished in the paint? And last night, it was even more egregious because LeBron James clearly did not have it. He was flat-footed. He looked banged up and hurt. You could tell from his short three-point shot that he just didn't have the lift. And yet, Darvin Ham leaves him out to dry on an island of his own with three guards. Was this loss all on him? No. Obviously, LeBron James was awful, and LeBron James said as much. Again, Memphis lived up to the moment and shot well from three. Yes, the officiating was against us and clearly skewed to Memphis' side. But was Darvin Ham the pivotal swing piece that changed the complexion of the game? Yes. It was a masterclass in shooting yourself in the foot and killing your own momentum in the third quarter. It was a one-point game... Sorry, my voice is cracking up. I'm so emotional about this. Um, no, I actually just woke up. It was a one-point game twice in different moments in the third quarter, and each time, Ham couldn't adjust. Momentum is a delicate thing in the NBA, and once you lose it and let it snowball, that could be the tail of the game right there for you. And last night, that was the tail of the game. It almost happened in Game 4, when Ham let the Grizz go on a 14-1 run to close the first half without calling a timeout, and then it did happen in this game, when Ham let a 1-point deficit turn into a 17-point deficit to close the third, again with shoddy lineup and timeout allocation decisions. So let's talk about the third quarter, because D'Lo comes out firing. He pretty much replicates what he did in the fourth quarter of Game 4, he hits two threes, hit a mid-range jumper, eight straight points. But on top of that, he had three assists right after that. He had complete control of the offense. He was finding AD for a floating jump shot, finding AD for a layup. He even found LeBron James for a shot. D'Lo had accounted for the first 15 points of the third quarter for the Lakers, whether it be through his scoring or his assisting. 
when we were only down by one point and the bench was celebrating, D'Lo was doing his like I never left thing that he likes to do. I thought we legitimately had a chance to win the game because momentum was all on our side. We were rolling. And then at the six minute mark, Darvin Ham takes AD out. Now, everyone's been focusing on Darvin Ham taking AD out, but no one mentions how he also took D'Angelo Russell out. And D'Angelo Russell was the driver of our offense in that third quarter. And if you know anything about D'Angelo Russell, you do not take him out when he's running hot because you don't know whether you'll be able to bottle that up again. So taking him out was the worst possible decision, not only because he was hitting shots, but because, but because he was setting Anthony Davis up rightly. He was the hottest player on the floor from a shooting and playmaking standpoint, and Ham just intentionally decided to nuke his own player's momentum. That's not knowing your own personnel. Now, I know he called a timeout with the Lakers down six right after Ja did the two-small taunt on D'Angelo Russell, but that doesn't mean you have to take D'Angelo Russell out on top of that. Was he reprimanding D'Angelo Russell for that defensive miscue? It, it just didn't make any sense to me. And sure enough, the rest of the game, D'Angelo Russell only had like two shots after that hot stretch. Again, I legit thought we had a chance to win the game in that moment. But taking D'Angelo Russell out and then compounding it with obviously taking Anthony Davis out for the vaunted LeBron James small ball five unit that's worked out so well this entire series, that was the game right there. And we could never rebound or regain momentum because that's when the Grizzlies went on their biggest run. Yes, LeBron James hit a three and then we were back to being only down one. And, I, and maybe that gave Ham a little bit more confidence to stick with that small ball unit. But we all knew that was fool's gold. And it was, because from there, offensive rebounding by the Memphis Grizzlies, them getting into the paint, they outscored us by eight points in the paint tonight. And again, LeBron James was hampered tonight. You don't leave him out to dry with a small ball lineup that features Dennis Schroeder, who had his second offer of this series as his secondary primary creator. Okay. Actually, Austin Reeves was in that unit as well, but at that point, it it was just too much to overcome when the snowball avalanche that the Memphis Grizzlies were putting on the Lakers was swelling. So that's the third quarter, and that's the game. In the first half, Rui Hachimura, only five minutes. He did not have three fouls. He only had two fouls. What was that about? Troy Brown and Malik Beasley who had like minus 25 and minus 20 on the game, had more minutes than Rui Hachimura in the first half. Yet Darvin Ham still continues to roll with Troy Brown and 20% three-point shooting Malik Beasley. And then on top of it, it's just terrible minutes distribution to not play AD more than 35 minutes, to not play D'Angelo Russell more than 30 minutes, You're perfectly fine playing AD and LeBron 38 minutes to start the season to keep your team afloat, but when it comes to these crucial playoff games where your life depends on it, you back off and you treat this game like it's a regular season preseason game. You know, that's the only explanation for why you take Anthony Davis and D'Angelo Russell out at the six-minute mark of the third quarter when you're trying to 
stem the tide or make a run. And then on the macro sense, maybe you should have played Wenyan more throughout this series to get a better look. Maybe you should have played the 7-10 wingspan guy, Mo Bamba, the week before the play-in started when he was available to play to see if he could give you something. He'd surely be a better rim deterrent or rebounder in the paint than Austin Reeves and Troy Brown in these micro-ball lineups. But yes, I know I'm pretty emotional today. It's not a big deal. I actually think we are going to win Game 6, but it's just frustrating. And, and I actually feel like this is like pent-up frustration with Darvin Ham that I haven't really been able to let out on this podcast. So yeah, apologies if I seem a little incendiary, but this aspect of our season has been a bugaboo of sorts, along with the front office uh, being slow to move to get the season underway. And unfortunately, I think it's going to be a pretty big deterrent to what we inevitably want to achieve this season if you know championships are at the forefront of what we're trying to do. Anyways, let's take it to break here. Let me cool off. Let me cool down. Um, When we return, more on Darvin Ham, and then I'll speak to some adjustments that he can make. Obviously, I'm not a coach. These are just the adjustments that I I think could be implemented as a fan and as an observer. So let's take it to break, and I will catch you guys after the turn. Okay, so we are back. Again, I don't want to continue hammering Darvin Ham, no pun intended, but maybe subconsciously it was intended. Darvin Ham's motivational speeches. Um, they're cool in the preseason and maybe the midpoint of the season. They're cool for his players, I guess. Clearly they resonate to some extent. But yeah, Ham's motivational speeches. I'm getting strong Doc Rivers and Mark Jackson vibes from them. They sound like things Vin Diesel would say to his family in the Fast and Furious movies. We've been through a lot. What is pressure when you've been shot in the head with a bullet? Family! I'm just kind of over it at this point. Again, clearly he has the players buy-in. Clearly guys like him. But I think that only takes you so far when you need an actual tactician who just makes sound, intuitive moves in the moment and can adjust and adapt quickly when your opponent is bringing something new to the table. And so far that hasn't been Darvin Ham. And I think that's going to come back to bite this team. To quote Darvin Ham in one of the timeout huddles from last night, we have overcome so much shit this year. And yes, I agree. That includes this slow-to-move front office that helped run AD and LeBron to the ground because they didn't bother to make the requisite moves or even make part one, part two marginal moves to build out a more competent first-half team, right? And... Yes, that also includes this coach. We've overcome so much shit this year, including this coach who also had AD and LeBron playing 38 minutes to start the season to try and stay afloat, but now can't be relied upon to play AD 38 minutes in the most crucial game of our season. It worries me. So here are my bullet point adjustments that Darvin Ham can try to employ and that I'm sure he'll employ next game. The one thing about Darvin Ham is if the complaints get loud enough and if the mistakes and miscues are so obvious, he typically will adjust the next game. 
So a lot of this is gonna sound like low-hanging fruit, but I'll go through my list anyways. Here are my adjustments. Call timeouts immediately. Stop with the keynote speeches and make tangible adjustments to what you just saw that led you to call that timeout. Stop with the small ball three-guard lineups around LeBron James. Start staggering a clearly hobbled LeBron James with AD and one of Reeves and D'Lo at all times. No, staggering him with Reeves is no longer enough. He needs AD with him. Try playing Mo Bamba. He has a 7'10 wingspan. Yes, is he frail and yes, will he get pushed around? Maybe he hasn't earned your confidence in practices, but try him out. He has a 7'10 wingspan and again can do a better job rebounding or being a rim deterrent than Austin Reeves, Troy Brown, or even a flat-footed LeBron in those microball units. Please, please play Rui Hachimura at least 12 minutes each half. There is no reason to limit him to 5 minutes and then 8 minutes in the first half in each of these last two games. He wasn't even in foul trouble. That is another example of intentionally nuking your own player's momentum. Rui Hachimura has been one of the hottest players in this series, and you have relegated him back to being a ho-hum role player who will have one good game every four nights. Next point. Have a shorter leash on Malik Beasley and Troy Brown. Maybe give Lonnie Walker a chance. You DNP'd Rui Hachimura for Lonnie Walker, remember? But now you don't want to play him over 20% three-point shooting defensive Steve Malik Beasley? I get wanting to give your players trust to see if they'll come back around, kind of like what he did with D'Angelo Russell in Game 4. But at a certain point, you got to pull the plug, you know? You can't be afraid to pull the plug either. Another point. Find a balance early on of getting not only Anthony Davis involved, of not only finding LeBron a rhythm, but also getting D'Lo involved in the offense to find his own shot. Not just having him be a playmaker, but him knocking down some shots because D'Lo is his most D'Lo is at his most lethal when he's chucking and he's putting the pressure on the defense. Because as you've seen, once he sees one of his three-point shots goes in, if he sees his mid-range shot go in, and he knows he's got three or four more shots coming, he can really pile them up in bunches. So use that to your advantage. When D'Lo is an offensive threat, which he know, which we know he can be, it opens up and diversifies our offense and even opens things up for LeBron James, who is trying to drive into crowded lanes and is stuck in the mud half the time, you know? Lastly, play the core guys all 35 plus minutes each. Stop getting cute with it. Stop coaching this game like a preseason slash regular season game. So to close, look, Darvin Ham has done a pretty good job context considered with this ragtag mishmash bag of a season. It is incredible that we started the season off 210 and have a chance to close this out again on Friday and move on to the second round. You give Darvin Ham for weathering the storm of this season and for shepherding this team to this point. But if you're looking for a championship, right now, 
Darvin Ham is not a championship-level head coach, and it is unfortunate timing that we are stuck with this guy. This season, and maybe the seasons moving forward if he doesn't improve. And yeah, not having a championship-level head coach at some point, that's going to come back to bite the Lakers, who presumably want to win a championship this season, and it could bite us as soon as Friday, if it hasn't bitten us already. In some cases, Darvinham has a built-in excuse and buffer, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis being as banged up as they are, but also who allowed them to get to this point of being this banged up. We haven't even talked about never employing the help of legitimate big men all season and constantly running these small ball lineups that, yes, will drive your stars to the ground. That has a compounding effect, and we're seeing it, and we're continuing to play these small ball units. Anthony Davis continues to be the sole rim protector. Do you know how much pressure and weight that is for one man to carry? And he's done a stellar job so far, but don't be surprised if the wheels fall off. Anyway, it's unfortunate that we're entering an offseason where guys like Nick Nurse, Mike Budenholzer, even Ty Lue, even though Ty Lue is maniacal, all these guys could be free agents on the coaching market. Meanwhile, we have to watch Darvin Ham, the ultimate company man and Palenka puppet, try and figure it out as he goes with the right sermon and player dap on hand to deflect. Again, nothing personal on Darvin Ham. This is just what I'm seeing right now. This doesn't mean that he can't improve. This doesn't mean that he won't improve. It's just right now with what the Lakers are trying to do this season, there is a disconnect with how much LeBron James and Anthony Davis has given and tactically how much Darvin Ham has given. Even though, again, he has made some really nice adjustments. Anyways, I think the Lakers closed things out in Game 6. AD and and LeBron look ready. AD was just biting his lip and grinning at the end of the Memphis Grizzlies game, so maybe that's the look of death. And yeah, hopefully Ham takes this all as crucial learning experiences. As I mentioned, when it's loud enough and obvious and egregious enough, he typically does the right thing the next game, so we can only hope he does that. These are not... These are easy things to fix, too. It's just all the more frustrating that you have to fix them because they're so counterintuitive when you see him make the decisions that he does in-game. But yeah, hopefully Ham corrects himself and learns from these mistakes because if he doesn't and he finds a way to blow a 3-1 lead, well, then the Doc Rivers comparisons won't be that far off. But I expect the King to respond rightly. I expect AD to finally have two great all-around games in a row. 31 and 19 on 14 of 23 shooting. I believe that's his first over 50% game of this season, of of this series. Man, what what (laughs) what an AD game to waste, right? Anyways, I expect him to have that sort of game again at Crypto.com in Game 6. I expect AD and LeBron to finally both play well together, simultaneously. And I expect us to finally put these front-runnery punks to bed. It is well past their curfew. Just please, everyone, stay healthy. Let's make it out of this series alive. So go Lakers, go, go. Darvin Ham, be better. I'm sorry for being so mad. Okay. I will catch you guys next time. If you guys want the more lit and fun podcast episode, please check out our previous episode with Alan, where we talk about the Game 4 recap, where LeBron James went for 20-20 and and D'Angelo Russell had a 9-0 run in the fourth. That is a podcast that's a lot more fun to listen to, but if you wanted to vent, if you wanted some catharsis, here's your Darvin Ham cathartic podcast episode. 
Anyways, my voice is running out. Hope you guys enjoyed this to some extent. And we'll be back to hopefully cover the Lakers facing the Sacramento Kings or the Golden State Warriors. Looking like the the Golden State Warriors at this point, but we shall see. So on to game six. Let's do this. It's lit. Talk to you guys later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.